Welcome to Unlikely Intersections, the podcast where intent, impact, and inquiry inspire our conversations. I'm Doc Philip Brown with my good friend, Dr. Terry Jackson, and you're with us at the intersection. The fascinating thing about intersections is that we face many intersections every day. The way we navigate these determines the trajectory of our day and our lives. Terry, we got a great episode today following up from a very powerful episode with uh, Gary Ridge on Monday. Uh, and today, our topic is, what does love have to do with it? Interesting topic, right? We know it from the song made by uh, Tina Turner. But as we had Gary on our episode Monday, he began to use the word love as it relates to his organization. And I had made mention to him that there's only been a couple of CEOs that I've ever been familiar with who've mentioned the word love, one being Alan Mulally, who's a former CEO of Ford, and now Gary Ridge. And I said, well, what, did you, what made you realize that love was a part of the equation for an organization? Yeah, and he, mentioned, he brought in one other one, uh, Bob Chapman. Yes, of Barry yes he did. And, and it's, it's so fascinating because I was asking him the question of, you know, how is it that you muster the courage or teach the courage to have difficult conversations in a way that, you know, is consistent with what he was talking about is that it's the difficult conversations that helps people get into a place that they really perform at, at very well. And he, I mean, I was amazed because he immediately, all he said was, he's just like, it's love. Yeah. As if, you know, as if it should be so intuitive Right. And he talked about how it was love for the people and for the values of what we were all trying to accomplish together that made it so lack of courage wasn't an issue. Right. It's like because love overpowers that fear uh, as the stronger emotion. And you start putting that together and you're like, of course, that's obvious, right? And you tie in, and, and you know, a whole series of incredibly successful books come to mind, like Harry Potter, right? Yeah, like, why right. did Harry Potter survive the first thing? You that's know, right. Because of the old magic, right? That's right. That's and right. it was love that's that right. saved Harry that's Potter, right. you know? That's and so right. it's like, wow. Yeah, it, it was it was amazing because, you know, as I, I mentioned Alan Mulally because he talked about love, how he does everything out of love, and it took him love to really run forward and to turn forward around. And Gary talked about this morning that it took love to give him the courage to have the tough conversations with people. And he says if it wasn't for love, he wouldn't have been able to have those tough conversations he said if you really love someone then you're willing to have that tough conversation with them and he gave us an example of someone in a meeting who for whatever reason something happened that morning and things just weren't right for them and they realized that it wasn't right but he walked through in his head what should he do there were a couple of scenarios and he said no neither scenario would happen so what I did after the meeting was I walked the person outside and as I walked the person outside, I'd look behind a car and I'd look behind a trash can. I'd look behind a bush. And the person says, so what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for you because I realized that you weren't in the room. But in order for me to do that and get into that coaching moment for them, it had to be driven by love because I love that person because I wanted to see them perform with how they normally perform because they were a great contribution or made great contributions to 
WD-40. And it was amazing to me that, you know, it was born out of a definition that was based on the company values. Yes. Which he says are, are you know, need to be hierarchical. And the, the particular one was about the obligation. I think I may get it, not get the semantics exactly right, but there was an obligation to make make the interactions a good experience for the people, right? And make, a, make it a good day for somebody. And the person's behavior was outside of that. And... And the relationships were so deep that you know mm-hmm. he, he realized that there, he, it made him look deeper, right? Yes. Like there must be something not quite right. And it's really important that we use that same value in our interaction with this person too, because the same holds true for me as holds for that. So I, I need I can't correct it in the moment. Right. I need to let it run its course, and then I need to find the right way. Yes. To diffuse it and to figure out what's going on. And, you know, and then ultimately the rest of the story is powerful because the person ends up owning what had happened based on some events in, in, in his particular life and bringing that back to the group and, and, and just mm-hmm. being accountable to that and saying, you know, I was outside of what this meant. It was, that was, you know, it, was it was extremely powerful. And one of the most important, important things about it was how he handled it depending on how he handled it in the meeting would have been an example to others if they were in the same situation what to do or what not to do whether to speak out or not to speak out because this person for whatever reason was being themselves and if others in the room if he had responded in such a way where he addressed it right there on the spot. It could have been very possible that others would have not been as transparent in meetings moving forward within the organization. Because it might not have been safe. That's right. That's right. They're not a safe environment, but they felt safe. And that person, even though they weren't themselves, they felt safe enough to be who they were in the moment in that room, who they were. And then they were pulled outside and it was a learning moment coaching moment and the person as you as you indicated they admitted that they realized that they weren't themselves and there were some personal things going on in their life and they apologized for that and so now they realize that they were in a safe environment and they can say what they want to say what's on their mind and they can be ultimately transparent and it's such a, a powerful building experience done that way because you you realize how there could be different forms of that that happen all along the way. And it might not even be the CEO that recognizes it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it might be another member of that team that recognizes uh, maybe it's a more subtle thing Mm -hmm. in another person. And they know that they have the obligation now to basically go check and first check and see if that person's okay. Right. Cause something must be going on because they, they decided that, you know, or for whatever reason, they've acted outside of mm-hmm. the set of values that everybody has agreed to go by. Yep. That's just powerful. I mean, you know, it's, it's about creating that, it's, it's creating a culture, obviously. Yeah, you know, and actually it's a culture of love, but it's a culture of trust. It's a culture of inspiration. It's a culture of transparency. So all of this positivity comes out simply because of having the love enough that gives you the courage to have the tough conversations 
that everybody knows that this is this is just what's normal within this organization. So I can come to work. I can have a positive contribution. I can go home and have a positive contribution because he talked a lot about happy people making happy companies, happy families, happy communities, making a positive impact. All of that rolled down to people being able to be themselves, to be authentic, and to do it within the construct of love. And as he said, it's simple, but not always easy to do. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I don't know how many times we've talked about that in the context of this, and I think about, you know, so I, I have, as an introvert, I'm not the most expressive person, even with my family. Something I've worked on, I still, I mean, I've got such a long way to go. But when you think about, you know, what does showing love look like, I always start out first with, you know, what does it look like as a child? Mm-hmm. And, you know, little children, by and large, are all about love, right? Mm-hmm. Like love of one another, love mm-hmm. of their parents, love mm-hmm. of, you know, teddy bear, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like it is just, it's there. And when we think about the environment that's present with children so many of the times, it's it's one of those where in that moment, everything just kind of seems right with the universe. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I'll get a little personal, and, and that is, you know, this, I love my father, and I'm sure my father loved me, um, but I don't remember a time in my life when my father ever told me that he loved me. And so that resonated with me. So that, told me that whenever I had kids, I was gonna make sure that I say that on a regular basis, right? So I make it a point to tell my daughter that I love her every day when I see her, give a kiss on the forehead and say I love her. And that's because of what didn't happen for me and me realizing that people need to hear that they are loved, right? And what was important for me and when we talked to Gary was this, how do we take this societal love that we have in our families and make it a part of organizational love, make it normal for people within organizations to say, you know, I'm doing this out of love and I love you because normally within organizations, we're talking numbers and not love, right? What are the results and not love? So how do we make it more natural for it to to uh, when we connect the dots between society and organizations, love is a is an intricate part of that that equation. Powerful question. It it makes me want to use a story of, about how it can work because I actually I have seen it work mm-hmm. incredibly well, and I'll use the the example of Hurricane Florence mm-hmm. when Hurricane Florence hit. Uh, in 2018, New Hanover Regional Medical Center and our whole teams, everyone was profoundly affected in, in different ways. We had the teams inside the hospital. We had the teams outside the hospital after the storm. Those switched, and you know, and then over time we resumed back to normal. But we had a huge uh, a number of our team who whose personal lives were affected by home damage. I mean, it was a terrible storm. It you know. And it did a lot of things in the organization too, mm-hmm. right? Destroyed mm-hmm. a whole building mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. parts of other buildings. And so the financial implications of it were, were massive to us. But in the immediate aftermath, it was around our purpose to serve one another and the community. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, not only do we do what we do in the community, getting everything back open, providing access for healthcare in the traditional ways, in other ways, which mm-hmm. we discussed in an episode, mm-hmm. how you and I actually met was based right, on some right, of that. Right. And, and then, but really how we, we had a relief center for our team mm-hmm. where they could come in and get supplies they needed to, in some cases, you know, just mm-hmm. clean up in other cases, replace things that were totally destroyed in other cases, you know, by time because their situation was never going to come back. And it was so powerful to be a part of it. It became a family thing. Like, you know, my wife came and was a part of those efforts, my kids and, 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 you know, not just mine, but a lot of our team members, you know, mm-hmm. it became a whole family thing. Mm-hmm. And we knew these stories were happening, right? Like we had employees who were having to take a canoe from their house mm-hmm. to where the flood had receded so they could then get it in a car and drive to work mm-hmm. and then reverse it on the way back home. Mm-hmm. But their dedication to their fellow team members was such that they were fulfilled by doing that and they felt like they needed to do that at that time. It restored their sense of purpose mm-hmm. because they love what they were doing. They love taking care of people. They felt that sense of, of love for their teammates mm-hmm. because they knew that that reciprocal obligation existed so that was a time of crisis and we did things incredibly well we we managed to you know to use a metaphor to weather that episode strongly in terms mm-hmm. of the performance of the organization you know that was that was coming into the strongest that we ever were mm-hmm. uh, into the position of ultimately being acquired a couple years later. Um, but your question has been in several other episodes is why can't that be normal? Mm-hmm. Right. Why can't we talk about that under normal conditions every day? Because it, it, it it's under there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just forget or it's covered up or we get distracted or our mental chatter won't let us mm-hmm. remember why we're there. Mm-hmm. Because everything is supposed to be love based upon what we are taught as a kid. Um, humanity, it's all about love. But then we get older. And I guess we become a little bit more logical. And maybe the more logical we become the less loving or not, 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 maybe not the less loving we are, but we don't think about it as much. And so we don't, maybe we practice it in a particular way where maybe we think it's a material gift, right? Versus a hug or a kiss on the forehead or telling someone we think this material gift is displaying love, but, Nothing can replace someone telling you that they love you. The word alone resonates with you long after the material gift is no longer around. And so the importance of saying that to colleagues, employees, family members, you know, we've we've seen a lot of things that have happened, you know, over a period of time, we saw the Tyree Nichols situation, right? And then I was telling you this morning that um, an article about what something that happened in Pakistan, uh, I think it was a uh, 
terrorist bomber, 44 people killed, 150 people uh, injured in a mosque where there should be love. Right. Giving praise to, to their, you know, their God. And yet somehow. We have forgotten, forgotten to make love or we hold love in a particular construct. Right. A construct of that's around the family. That's around my spouse and my children can't possibly be employees, can't possibly be the organization, the institution that I work for, can't possibly be my leader. You know, um, we've built those walls, which prevents us from being transparent, prevents us from having courage. And so how do we begin to tear down the walls to show that love is about humanity and how do we normalize it? Really powerful question, uh, you know, tear down that wall. Um, you know, I talk about it a little bit in my my book that will be coming out in just mm -hmm. a few weeks, Do You Speak Patient? Mm -hmm. And and it's one of the aha messages in there that, which talks about really the, the, the love relationship between a surgeon, because I'm using myself as an example, could be any medical professional. Mm-hmm and the patient, mm. right? It's a, it really is a, a form of love, right? It's agape mm -hmm. love, it's mm -hmm. very deep, you know? It means ultimately the way I think of it, it means that, you know, I care very deeply about your well-being and what's best for you mm -hmm. and you the same in a reciprocal fashion. And it's powerful, there's no, I mean, again, there's nothing that has that level of power. We try to use surrogates, right? You mm -hmm, mentioned them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, in business world, we use the surrogate of, of compensation, mm -hmm. financial compensation. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I have talked a lot of times, including today, that compensation has to be adequate for the job in terms of its fairness. Mm -hmm. But it's never enough mm -hmm to to account for things when they're missing that's right you know and so if we don't if we don't learn how to how to peel that thing back and and show love for one another in any setting then there's going to be this continuous struggle that really doesn't have to be especially true in healthcare. and 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 of all industries love has to be a key ingredient in healthcare. Because you have people coming through the door who, for the most part, don't know a lot of the providers who are providing services for them, but they're trusting that these people would do what's in the best interest of their health. And oftentimes they're sick or they're injured and they're looking for relief. And regardless of whether you know them or not, at the root of that relief, at the root of that service is love. And if you can't do it with love, then you don't you don't need to, to do it. Right. Uh, and trust, trust is a part of that as well. Uh, and so people are so dependent on the healthcare industry to provide that relief and they have to understand that it's in service of humanity, which is the greatest service that you can give. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's almost like we're going to end up talking about the book before it comes to <laughs> publication. But 
You know, one of the things I would say is, you know, as somebody who's been in physician leadership for many years now, right, I've never been more concerned about the well-being of my colleagues mm-hmm. and, by extension, our patients, mm-hmm. um, because it's been a very difficult environment and lots of different pressures from lots of different places. And all the surveys that we see nationally really have shown this profound deterioration in how everybody is viewing their current position. I mean, Mm -hmm. nursing turnover massive across the country, Mm -hmm. Uh, physician turnover same, early retirements, anybody who can get out is getting out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've read studies that have been as high as half the physician workforce is contemplating retirement or a change to another related profession from their current situation and there's a shortage already and so we're really in a fundamentally uh, difficult place to start with Mm -hmm. and so we have to figure out the cultural elements that have to change and I really do believe it begins with love right like if if you love somebody are you going to intentionally set up a situation where they're unable to have what they need to do the job well, or they're going to, or they're going to have unreasonable demands on their time, or they're going to be unable to spend the right amount of time with their family for their personal renewal, all these things, right? Like Mm -hmm. the answers to, to that is, well, you certainly wouldn't. And the journey to get there is difficult, right? Like it's going to take some creativity. It's going to take co-creation. It's going to take, I'm going to say this for the first time in the history of the industry, it's going to take a genuine and widespread attempt to engage the people at the front lines Mm -hmm. as part of the strategy, planning, and decision-making for what the future looks like. Otherwise, we are not going to have front lines. Yeah. And, you know, based on our national health, that's a disaster. You know, we have to... I think I heard Alan Mulaney say this, we have to lead with love, right? And oftentimes it's not, we're leading with something else. We're leading with profitability. We're, really, we're leading with a return on investment, right? We're, we're leading with numbers. We're leading with everything that really doesn't matter. Or it does matter, but it's not as important as the people. You know, we always hear the people are our greatest asset. Well, Gary proved through WD-40, that his people were the greatest asset. He talked about his employee engagement uh, numbers, which were not above 90 percentile, right? And he was there for maybe 35 years as a CEO, so I think if, I, if I recall correctly. And so he shared with us also in, 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 in Monday's, this past Monday's episode, the book of you know helping people win at work. And he talked about uh, you know, don't mark my paper, give me an A. And he gave the example of the professor who, you know, his peers were upset with him because he gave the students the final exam. And then he said, I'm going to teach them the answers so that they can make an A. And in our culture, it should be about helping people win in this culture, in our society. And if we want to give them a grade, it should be about helping people get an A. We can only do that through love. It's because I have love for my fellow human being, my fellow man, that I'm going to help them get an A. Not thinking about 
the impact on me, but thinking about my impact on them. Because too often in our society, we don't do things like that because my ego says, I want to look good. I want to look better than, I want to look smarter than, more intelligent than. I want to seem more professional than this other human being. When in fact, if I help us both, if we both, we both win by me helping you. There is no loss for me for helping you. I've helped make society a better place. And I only do that if I'm rooted in love. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll give you an example. A very dear friend uh, and mentor of mine uh, last week said, you know, in the wake of what turned out me being laid off, said, come up with some good ideas and we'll figure out how to make it happen, right? He said, your success will be my success. Mm -hmm. And that's a kind of love, right? Like that is, we can, we value each other. We can work to create something together to co-create as you've mm -hmm. written about in your latest book, you know, and at the end of the day, we're going to come up with something special mm -hmm. and we're both going to share in it. Mm -hmm. And we're both going to share in it and, mm -hmm. and, and it's for the greater good. And it's amazing because, you know, Gary talked about the whole, growth of WD-40 during his time there, mm -hmm. and, and which was basically logarithmic. Yes. <laughs> and, and, it was, and it was based on the principles that he talked about of, of loving the people, taking care of them in a way that gives them what they need to succeed, coaching them, mm -hmm. even if it's difficult. And that's really possible anywhere, and we're not seeing enough of it across the country. And there was one word that he mentioned that was key to it all. And he says, you have to be committed to it. You have to be committed to it, right? You're going to put this all in place. And if you're committed, you don't think about it being an expense. It's a day-to-day -day commitment to having a great culture. It's a day-to-day -day commitment to having a a great culture, uh, not only at the organization, but I'm going to say in the family, because oftentimes we don't think about culture and family because we're always talking about it within an organization. But what culture does your family have? And it takes a commitment through communication, right? Through sometimes uh, what I'm going to say is we have to compromise because it's not about us. It's about the greater good. So the greater good for the family, the greater good for the organization, they're the same. We're trying to figure out what we can do to have the greatest positive impact for our family and for the organization. And we all win, right? That paradigm of win-lose, we've been taught that through sports. And that's good. It has its place. But in the real world, we can all win together. Now, my winning might not look like you're winning, and I understand that, and that's what we have to get the people to, and that's all done through love. I can love it, hey, if the pie is 100% and Dr. Phillip gets, you know, 70% and Terry Jackson gets 30%, so what? We both won. Yeah, and it kind of it reminds me of uh, uh, the recent commencement address I gave at UNCW, mm. which in retrospect I clearly wrote so that I could go back and listen to it after last <laughs> week. Um, you know, but it talks about how interdependent we are mm -hmm. and how there's a reciprocal obligation to allow 
my truth to be affected mm-hmm. by your truth, mm-hmm. which means, you know, we've got to communicate. We've got to do all those kind of things. And at the end of the day, neither one of those uh, truths are precise, right? They're just the reality each of us created. Mm-hmm. And as we go forward together, a lot of times there's just a, there's a third way in there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, we, we used to talk about, uh, you know, I, one of the things I kind of heard coming up was there's all three sides to every story. Mm-hmm. There's your side, my side and, and what happened, mm-hmm. but actually there are more sides than that. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the, the truth isn't necessarily in the middle, right? It's right. all true. That's right. That's based right. on our personal reflections of what happened. It's true. It's vivid. It's the movie that was my life. Everything that's happened to me. It's true. That's right. Same for you. But as we try to do things together, we have to navigate the in-between parts. That's right. And I, I love the concept of love in that context, right? Because what you're really talking about is a deep respect and a love of humanity. Right. A topic that we address frequently. Yes. And, and your truth being your truth and my truth being my truth, but it all being the truth. And we understand that there is a, there's some gap there in order for us to work together to close that gap. It has to be done out of love, right? Because it's about understanding. It's about, it's about understanding and it's about combining my truth with your truth to make the fourth, the fifth or the sixth truth by closing this gap so that we can work, move forward together and make a positive contribution toward, toward society. Yeah. At least the next step, right? Like, yes. You know, we don't, we don't have to plan out what's going to happen 28 steps down the road. And it's just an illusion that we can even do that, right? right. Because there's so right. many different factors that we have no ability to control. It's not like, you know, the financial reports that you look at and the budgets and the, the, the things that you set inside a big organization are filled with assumptions Yes. so that you can create the illusion of control. And those assumptions are viable things that could be reasonably expected to happen. Right. But it doesn't mean they will. And often, often they don't. Right. And so, you know, but, but it gives you a starting point. Yes. And then as you go along throughout the year and so forth, you course adjust and, you know, life is, 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 is a little more complex than that. Right. Like we don't, in our human interactions, we put assumptions in at our great peril. Yes. Yes. It, it, you know, to talk about assumptions, Gary told a great story and I think you kind of reminded him of the story. Simon Sinek had made a mention of Gary and, Gary said that he was in a, I think, an earnings call and with Wall Street, and they had mentioned to Gary that uh, we see that you've missed your numbers for this quarter. Gary said, no, we didn't miss our numbers. Our numbers are fine. <laughs> <laughs> we missed your numbers because you assumed what we were going to generate this right. particular quarter, <laughs> and your assumption was wrong. We knew exactly what we were going to generate, and we did. Yeah, and that's a, you know, and it's interesting, so you can peel that back, right, like, that was out. That was even done out of love, right? Because yes. that's the courage to, as a CEO, to come back to to Wall Street and say, you know, I love what we're doing here. I love my people that's enough right. to tell you that, you know, 
what you say we ought to do is nowhere near as important as what we believe we need to do and how we need to do it. And we're going to be okay. That's right. So that message to, to his tribe, mm-hmm. as he calls it at the time, mm-hmm. think about how powerful that was. If you are a member of that tribe, you'd be mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, our, our, our CEO just told them to, you know, take <laughs> yeah, a hike. yeah, exactly. They don't, you know, you don't control us. We're doing that's right. This very meaningful work that we do that's global that puts WD forty in everybody's, you know, possession when they need it. Which that's is, right. I can't imagine life without WD forty. That's right. I mean, that's right. Know, and they just got right on down the road. That's right. And and he attributed to Wall Street's short term thinking versus their commitment to their culture and the delivery of a product to the consumer being long-term, they were playing the, as he called it, I think it's the book by Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game, right? Yes. And, you know, and he was very careful as a business leader to say, now within that infinite game, there are, you know, there are finite games that you have to play to work. You know, it's part of it. But the message that, that I took from it was that one must never lose sight of the big picture. That's right. As of what he was saying, right? right? Never lose sight of the big picture that this is intended to go way beyond me. That's right. Right? It's another greater good piece that is is in there. And we also talked about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Now, I love a book, Gung Ho, mm-hmm. uh, by Ken Blanchard, who co-authored uh, his book about helping people win at work. Uh, and who Gary said was one of his mentors from way back. But, you know, the Gung Ho book, you know, they're real clear that the purpose of that company in that book is not about what they do. It's really about who they are and mm-hmm. what it means to the people that are on that team. Mm-hmm. It's their knowledge of sense of purpose, right? Mm-hmm. They're there. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a maybe it's a dominant company uh, in a town or a region. That's a whole different set of responsibilities uh, than it is if you're if you're just a, a tiny little player because you, you affect so much based mm-hmm. on you know how you treat people, what you show, how mm-hmm. you how you deliver, how long term a vision you have because the community is going to see the well being of that entity as crucial to the well-being of the community as a whole. And so it's an awesome responsibility that you just have to, again, it comes back to the, but you have to look at it with soft eyes mm-hmm. and, and you have to look at it with love, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I am, if I love the, the place I am, the community, my friends, neighbors, and family, then as an organization, I'm going to behave a certain way mm-hmm. that, nurtures that mm-hmm. and allows that to continue to grow and function beyond any period of time. And to me, that's really, that's kind of always been at the essence of my personal leadership philosophy, even though I can't say it as clearly as mm-hmm. what, you know, Ken Blanchard and Gary Ridge can. So it was mm-hmm. great to have him on and be able to kind of clean that up a little bit. And, you know, he said this too, love isn't a soft word. People like to think of love as being a soft word but it's not. It's probably one of the strongest words in our vocabulary, but we have the perception that it is soft. And as I think about tech companies, 
mired in technology and numbers and the lack of soft skills that exist amongst a lot of the techies. And we see it play out every day. The missing ingredient is the word love because that makes them more human. It makes them more empathetic, more compassionate, more sympathetic, not just a driver of numbers. You know, I can think of stories that I've heard about Amazon and how they treat their people. And it's obvious that love is a missing component with what they do and who they are, because it's not a part of who they are. But it was obvious with Gary and WD-40 that love was a part of who they were, who they are, and still are. And I like the word he used. He's a refired yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, CEO versus retired. And he wants, to put, he wants to put this out in the world, right? Like, you know, greater good. Yes. You know, how can I help people understand? You know, it's like a... It's like an enlightenment of sorts, right? Like, and and he's driven to, it would it would seem he's driven to be a mentor to help other people through his mastery of what that feels like, looks like, seems like to yes. people, and that's powerful because you know he doesn't have to do that. Probably no. doesn't have to do anything if he doesn't want to. No, he can sit back and rest on his <laughs> rest on his laurels and 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 rest on his bank account and and not have to go out and do any work. But he's out working with other CEOs to create the same types of cultures. So ultimately, within those organizations, those organizations and their culture benefit the communities and society because it becomes a generational kind of uh, cultivation of what love should look like in a family, in a community, within, and also within an organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, underpinning, he said it a number of times, uh, trust, right? Yes. And in my book, I talk about trust in the context of the, of the patient relationship as being the number one thing. And, mm -hmm. I, and I really think in a lot of ways, you know, Stephen M. R. Covey's got several books about it, out about it, Speed, and tr speed mm -hmm. of Trust, mm -hmm. Trust and Inspire, uh, it's really the underpinning of everything mm -hmm. good. And it's pretty easy for folks to see when that's violated, mm -hmm. even if they're not directly affected, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and it, and it looks kind of like, well, I've got this on the wall, but my behavior is this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once that, once that's seen, then the believership of people just goes away. Yeah, you know it's like I know uh, uh, Ryan Berman, Return on Courage. Uh, when you guys were working with with mm -hmm. uh, the New Hanover team in transformation, you know he really talked about you know leaders creating believership, mm -hmm. right? That we mm -hmm. we have this common set of beliefs that we pursue together mm -hmm. um, that makes us strong. And when that goes away, basically what you end up getting into is a is an exclusive type culture, mm -hmm. one that doesn't have that feature of safety. And it's hard for people to feel loved if they don't feel safe mm -hmm. because helping people be safe is a part of showing them your love, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's what mm -hmm. we do with mm -hmm. families. That's what we do 
you know, in any kind of group, right? The whole, one of the whole concepts is that circle of safety. Mm -hmm. uh, and Simon Sinek mm -hmm. talks about that, you know, like there's nothing new in the world that we're talking about. Right. 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 We're just trying to kind of reiterate it in a way that maybe we can help uh, ignite some change uh, on scale uh, because it just that that's kind of where we got to go. All this hate, mm -hmm. you know, the antidote to hate is love. Mm -hmm. the antidote mm -hmm. to dark is mm -hmm. light. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. you can't. Yeah, that's that's right. just how it goes. That's right. right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. You know, we're trying to connect the dots, right? Oneness is what we're really talking about. How do we make it one in our life as it relates to society and our organizations? It should be oneness. The oneness of love should bring us all together, and we should do, we should do what's best for the next human being or for the greater good, given the oneness of seeing each other as we are and wanting more for them than we want for ourselves and understanding what it what it means to help another human being win. It's that it's that leap of faith, mm -hmm. I think. Um, Dr. Rao talks about it a lot, you know, and he and he's he's one who says that humans are incapable of acting outside their self-interest, mm -hmm. outside their perceived self-interest mm -hmm. in the moment. Mm -hmm. And there's a leap of faith that says that has to enable me to do something for you that doesn't seem like it's in my immediate best interest, right? Like every act of heroism that we see where somebody puts himself in jeopardy mm -hmm. to act for somebody to, on someone else's behalf looks altruistic. Mm -hmm. But if we are to believe, you know, that we can only act within our self-interest, which is a model that I'm playing with right now, then, you know, what that says is that the underlying values make it so doing that act mm -hmm. benefits me because I'm being consistent with that value. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, translate that into a corporate setting where the values are stated, mm -hmm. right? They're on posters everywhere. They're all of the, you know, you can't turn your head without seeing some value statement somewhere behavior that's inconsistent with that is going to erode the trust is going to erode the, the, the love between team members that needs to exist because they're not safe. Yeah. It's interesting. I got a, a call the other day from a small company about, uh, doing some culture work. Right. And so I begin to have some conversation with some people and, um, it's interesting all that we are discussing in this, I can reflect on the conversation I had with them and what they were going through and the lack of trust uh, that was happening and the lack of love that's in, you know that that's that's uh, not a part of the the environment and and so this is extremely applicable uh, our conversation with with Gary on Monday and uh, the conversation we were having today because it's around not only helping a small company continue to, to do well because they've been around for about 11, 12 years, but giving them, them the ingredients to continue to grow and to thrive. But it won't only help them as a company, it'll help their families as well. So that's the, that's the, uh, the, ju the, the, the joy and the beauty of this 
because we take it so for granted around, oh yeah, that's just the culture of the organization. You know, We never talk about culture of the family, right? And so we're showing people how to bring all of this together as one. Yeah, I mean, you know, and there, there's, there's so, so much power there. And you know, one of the nice things about the position that I find myself in now is the opportunity to, to reflect and understand, you know, more about myself in order to be able to go forward and do good in the world, basically, that's right. whatever that means, right? Because right. that that'll connect to my purpose, right? Um, and you know, I, I have I have made the resolution that I'm going to be highly selective in who I work with right. in these areas, right? Which because we really do need to rebuild a lot of these things, which means that we have to go in and assess readiness. Yes. You know? And so I have to, people who believe these kind of things are important, who are doing similar work, really needs to work with organizations that are ready to put in the work Mm -hmm. and start building them, right? And then growing it from there. Right. Uh, Whether it's individual coaching for folks or whether it's, organizations that are ready to do the work of of what it means to to really have a deep culture mm-hmm. you know that's not afraid to talk about what it means to love your team members right as you say you know you you got your saying right we played together we sweat together, yeah yeah that's right, right. All that's, of that, right. that's right. right all of that that's right and uh, that's really what it's all about you know and when we get that right a lot of these bigger societal issues that we, you know, everybody's throwing their hands up because we can't deal with the, the hate we see all around us. Well, those are just reflections, mm-hmm. you know. So everywhere that we have a chance to pour in positive things, we'll begin to see those reflect out. Yes. But you know, until then, we'll continue to see a lot of the reflections we've seen recently that's right that's right that's right because so much is happening without love right uh because oftentimes people don't really understand it you know you wake up one morning and you can understand what people are saying because you have have, uh you understand the language now and you hear the word love and very few people go take go to the dictionary and take a look at and see what it actually means very few people assess what it means. Everybody just assume, yeah, I'm in love with so-and-so, so-and-so. I love so-and-so, so But what does it really mean, right? You got to have a deep affection, an intense feeling, right? And without knowing what it means, it's so easily used, but not understood. And people don't know, but yet they think they're utilizing this thing called love, and they're not. Yeah. That's, uh, that's powerful, you know. And it's, uh, I think it is a, based on our culture right now, it's, a, it's taboo to talk about. That's it. where we opened almost, right? Like, yeah. You know, somebody going to make fun of me if I say. Yeah, because you know, they're going think I'm soft. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's not really, you know. We, we talk about it in a generic sense, right? Like mm-hmm. love of sport, mm-hmm. love of the game, mm-hmm. love, love of something uh, intangible, Mm-hmm. That can get us in trouble, right? It, it kind of starts actually with love of yourself. Mm-hmm. 
right? Not in a narcissistic kind of way, but in that deep kind of, I'm okay. It's going to, you know, it's going to be okay for me. I got to, I got to figure out how else and who else mm -hmm. I need to connect to mm -hmm. in order to have good things happen mm -hmm. in my life. And when we can get to there and there's no reason why we can't, right? Where there's ample evidence. The Florence story was one mm -hmm. of them. There are many mm -hmm. other stories and many other companies, many other teams who have rallied mm -hmm. behind one another. Cause at the end of the day, for me, mostly real love is a, is a human thing. Yeah. Right. It's not, you know, That's I right. might say, you know, I love my, my sneakers I have right now, right. but that's not really what we're talking about. No, no, because five <laughs> or six months, if I'm exercising regularly, then guess what? They're going to be worn They're out anyway. Worn out. That's right. I'm going to want to replace them because I hate them now, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. it has. I, I think I heard someone say, anything of real value can never be replaced. And you can also replace that with love. Anything that you can give real love to can never be replaced. And so if we think about it from that perspective, you know, when you think about, you know, humanity, if I love you, then I see you as I see me. That creates the equality that we've all been talking about, right? That should create justice as well. And that also, that also creates inclusion in that one word, those four letters. All of that is included. And so we don't have to, we'll only think about diversity from the diver diversity of thought, but not diversity because of ethnicity, because I see you as human, because I love you. Yeah, we got to get over the, the, you know, there's a, there's a safety in who is us, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's your team, whether mm -hmm. it's your company, mm -hmm. whether it's your family, it's that circle of safety. And right now we're living in, it seems like, in such a world of, of perceived danger mm -hmm. where people feel unsafe. Maybe it's about their career or maybe it's about mm -hmm. their image or, who you know, lots of different things that that can be. It's causing us to act in ways that are to our own detriment. Mm -hmm. It's almost that just not enough folks have begun to realize it. And that's what can change, right? Like I can just as easily look at a person and tell myself a story about why I love them mm -hmm. as I can tell me, as I can tell myself a story about why I don't like them. Right. right. You know, right. it's really not any, I have to really trace those thoughts back and figure out why do I have this underlying assumption that I should be, uh, you know, standoffish from right. from Terry, right? Right. Like, right. Why, you know, trace. I have to trace that back and understand that we all do, and when we do, ultimately it all falls apart. Yes, you That's know, all it, it is just a story yeah. we've told ourselves at some point based on things that happen. And so what if we just take a pause and, and reconstruct that story right. in a different way? Huh? You know, <clears throat> the beauty of playing sports, you put on the pads and the uniform the same. You practice the same. Some people get injured. You get injured the same. 
have the same injuries. You go to the shower and you shower the same. As I shower, none of my color comes off. As you shower, none of your color comes off. Everything is the same. That's a deep bond. That's a deep understanding. For anyone who has any myths about it, it's a deep understanding. So that's why I use the phrase that I use all the time. Uh, we, we sweated together. We've cried together. We've bled together. That's a bond. Kind of seen as an obligation that I'm going to treat you the same. We were all on the same side, doing the same things. We're pushing for the same as companies do. We're trying to win at the at whatever game by having the highest score on the scoreboard at the end of the time when the time is over, right? But when that time is over, the other team, they're the same as we are because they've practiced the same. They've gone through some of the same injuries. They've, they've done the same things. It's just the constructs that have been built. I'm playing for, say, John T. Hoggart, and you're playing for New Hanover High School. But at the end of the day, it's all the same. Gary kind of talked about that when he said, hey, you have your vision, you have your strategy, but then you have your, your, your milestones in there. Dr. Rao kind of talks about it. He said, yeah, go ahead and have your goals. But at the end of the day, understand it's long term, right? And you kind of forget about the goals because you want to be caught up in the process. So we, what we have to do is create it, create this thing, pro, this process for love. How does one become a loving being, enamored with wanting to love other human beings, enamored with wanting to love your organization and love your family and love your community in such a way that we all give out love, regardless of what some of the obstacles we, we may face. We still have to work toward the process of loving each other. Yeah. And so we've kind of come to the point, you know, I think in, in some ways we've put forth a model to answer the question, right? What's love got to do with That's it? Right. Actually, everything. That's right. Um, how, do we, how do we act into that? Because it's all about acting our way to thinking. There That's are a lot right. of deep reasons why we're confused about what it ought to mean. That's right. And I will say that I certainly, I'll speak for myself, I certainly love that we have an audience here to listen to us. I love uh, doing these uh, talks with you. I've grown as a human being uh, because of it, Terry. I uh, love you like a brother. Yes, sir. And we hope that folks are getting something out of this. We hope that you'll you know, go check us out on YouTube, where you're seeing us right now uh, at Unlikely Intersections or Facebook, uh, Unlikely Intersections or unlikelyintersection.com. Or check me out at LinkedIn, Doc Philip Brown and Terry. You can check me out at LinkedIn, uh, Terry Jackson, PhD. And I just like to reciprocate. I love you like a brother. Uh, I want to see more love uh, in the world. I want to see more humanity in the world. And we've given you somewhat of a framework in this conversation to at least go do some research and figure out how you can make love more part of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis within organizational, within your organizational life or your societal life. And let's take that and make it one. We'd love to see you at the next Unlikely Intersection.